Welcome to the sermon podcast of Faith Lutheran Church in Oregon, Wisconsin, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ crucified and the promises of God that our faith clings to. For more information, visit us online at faithlutheranoregon.com. For the last two years, our gospel lesson from this morning has been becoming increasingly relevant uh, to the day and times we live in. Ten men with leprosy come to Jesus and call out to him to have mercy on them. Eleizon, have mercy. Jesus' responds, go show yourselves to the priests. He doesn't bless them. He doesn't wave his arms and magically make everything better. He doesn't even say, okay, sure, guys, what do you need? He tells them to go follow the law. The Old Testament Levitical law required that lepers show themselves to the priests to determine whether or not they had a disease. And so for us, in our day of heightened fear of sickness, maybe we can imagine this quite well. It, it sounds almost like, get out of here. You guys need to go get a COVID test before you're allowed to come in here. And to nine of the lepers, what Jesus said probably sounded a lot like that, too. Very likely, nine of them turned around and walked away, maybe even a bit perturbed at Jesus. They don't want an obligation. They just want to be healed and get back to their normal lives. Come on, Jesus. So what's going on? Why would Jesus tell them to do this? But we need to know something about the Old Testament Levitical laws surrounding leprosy. And we do have to be careful not to let our, our situation today, the day and times we live in, we have to be careful not to project our situation onto the Bible. This is not the equivalent of a vaccine mandate. There's an entire chapter in Leviticus, that is the book of Levitical laws, or the laws pertaining to the Levites or the priests, about worship. And it's devoted, this entire chapter is devoted to leprosy. Now in Leviticus, leprosy is, is a term which could apply to any variety of skin diseases. Rashes, or even mold or mildew. And for every single one of them, whether it's mildew or, or, or leprosy, it was the priest's job to determine whether or not someone was clean or unclean. A person who suspects they might have a skin disease would come to the priest, and the priest would examine him. And if the person was found to have a, a skin disease, the priest would quarantine him for seven days. And then on the seventh day, the priest would re-examine him a second time. And this could happen up to one more time, up to three times. If the disease was healed, the person would be declared clean. And he could now re-enter society. If not, the person was declared unclean, and they could not go back into society. They could not go back into the temple. Now, if they were to eventually be healed, the person would again need to go to the priest, uh, have them re-examine them again, and then go through an elaborate eight-day-long process uh, of ritual cleansing, ritual washing, and an expensive process of, of offering sacrifice upon sacrifice upon sacrifice. Now, it seems strange, doesn't it, to, to lump mildew in 
with serious uh, skin diseases. You know, obviously mildew is a lot less harmful than what we would consider leprosy today. You know, you, you leave your laundry in the washer overnight and now suddenly you've got a, a mildew problem, you've got a quarantine for seven days, right? This is probably a law written for new college students. So a lot of people might read these laws and, and see antiquated or, or foolish medical advice. Right? Mildew is not the same thing as something more serious, right? Not the same as COVID. But if you're reading the Bible and looking for a direct application to your life, whether it's medical advice or advice about money or, or dating or, or, or whatever, as opposed to first seeing Jesus, you've missed the point. The point of these laws is not medical. In fact, all of these laws were, were lumped together uh, under other laws pertaining to clean and unclean things, uh, including even laws about clean and unclean foods. At the heart of it, Leviticus 11.45 explains the thematic logic in all of these laws. God says, I am the Lord who brought you up from the land of Egypt to be your God, you shall be holy, for I am holy. God called Israel to mirror his holiness in every aspect of life. God was teaching not so much about disease as he was about sin. Sin, like mold or mildew, or something our society considers to be no big deal, like like, like living together before marriage or, or, or even stealing a, a piece of paper or something is, is no different than leprosy or, or something that the majority of people would consider uh, to be a major sin. All sin makes us unclean. All sin makes us unholy. We cannot make ourselves holy any more than a leper could cleanse himself. Paul calls these things the works of the flesh, and, and he says those who continue to do such works of the flesh will not inherit the kingdom of God. One final flesh disease, skin disease, illustrates this. The last skin disease included in the, in the Levitical laws was the most serious of all, and it was known to never clear up. This is the one that we commonly call leprosy today. In those days, there was no cure. Leviticus says such a person must wear torn clothes and let his hair be disheveled. He must cover his upper lip. Meaning what? He's, he's got to wear a face covering. And he's got to cry out, unclean, unclean. And for as long as the infection is on him, he shall remain unclean. He is unclean. He must live alone in a place outside the camp. Now, there was no chance that a person with this disease would ever be able to go through the process of ritual cleansing and, and sacrifices, let alone ever be allowed in the temple to the priests. There was no 99% survival rate. If you had this, you were cast off forever. That's the situation of these ten men. Jesus is telling them to do something that was in the law but very likely never had been done. Now there's one more very important detail. 
At the end of the section in Leviticus, the is the procedure for celebrating uh, what's called the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement was the only day, the only day, the one day that the high priest could go into the most holy place in the temple. Even priests were unclean to be in the presence of God, except on this one day when the high priest would, would go into the most holy place and offer an atoning sacrifice for all the people, cleansing them of all their sin. So when Jesus says, go show yourselves to the priests, he's making a spiritual proclamation. It's not just law. Jesus is proclaiming gospel. And on the way to the priest, Luke tells us that the ten men are cleansed. Yes, they're healed, but Luke doesn't use the word for healed. He uses the word for cleansed. Remember, this is all in the context of these clean, unclean Levitical laws. Someone might be healed, but the only way they can be cleansed and reintegrated into society and into the temple is if they go through the whole process of ritual washing and sacrifices. But these men are cleansed on the way. So you see what's happened. Jesus has not only healed their sickness, but he's fulfilled the law on their behalf. He's fulfilled the Levitical ceremonial law. Jesus is the true high priest, the one to make atonement for their sin. The only priest that could actually and did actually cleanse them by being the once-for-all atoning sacrifice for all their sins. One man recognizes this and immediately turns around and glorifies God with a loud voice in earshot of the other nine, and he falls down with his face at Jesus' feet and thanks him. He doesn't need to go to the priest because the high priest, Jesus, is right here. And Luke adds this detail. And he was a Samaritan. In other words, the one guy who shouldn't have recognized this. He wasn't a Jew. He wasn't even bound to the ceremonial laws. We might say that the others were, were lifelong churchgoers, baptized, confirmed, and married in the church. They knew everything. This guy was a, was a guy from the outside, a new convert. But he was cleansed, delivered from the plague. And because he was cleansed, he was declared holy. As holy as God is holy. And so he acted like one who had been made holy holy. Every aspect of our lives is meant to be a response to God's holy presence among us. And he is. This was the whole purpose of the clean, unclean laws in Leviticus. So when the other nine don't return to Jesus, this is a greater sin than just forgetting to give thanks after dinner. They recognize that they've been made clean, but they don't want to return to Jesus because that would mean an obligation. In the explanation of the first article of the Creed, 
we're told that for what God has done for us, we are in duty bound to thank, praise, serve, and obey him. But they don't want to be burdened with that. They just want to get back to their normal lives. They want healing without religion. They want to be spiritual without the church. They want faith without Jesus. They've been forgiven, but they want nothing to do with Jesus. They continue on their way, and they might not even make it to the priests. Once they realize they've been cleansed or healed, very likely they just go straight home. They want to get back onto their normal lives. They've been forgiven. They got what they came for, and so they'll throw away their salvation, something greater, because they don't come to Jesus. You know, we see this happening today. Whenever anyone uses Christianity or the church or Jesus as a means to an end. We saw this happen 20 years ago, after 9-11, right? Suddenly when the country was under attack, there was a great influx in churchgoers. Many came to church thinking that they could bend God to their will and, and, and God would fix their needs. But eventually, they had no more needs. Life became normal again, and so there was no more need for God. And it's happening now again, isn't it? You only need God if something is wrong, when your life isn't normal. And as long as, as, long as I'm healthy, Jesus is he's fine in second place to whatever else I've got going on. Lord, have mercy on us for thinking this way. And help us to be like the one man who returned to give thanks. And like him, you do not need to be examined three times. You don't need a test to know if you're healed, if you're cleansed. You've been washed and cleansed three times in the name of the triune God in holy baptism. And you can, by virtue of your baptism, enter the place where God is truly present. And then what do you do when you come up here? You fall down at your knees, on your knees, and you give thanks. The word that's used for the thanksgiving of the Samaritan is the word Eucharist. Eucharist is another term for the Lord's Supper. Psalm 116, which you helped me read earlier, says, What, what shall we render to the Lord? What, what thanks shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits toward me? And the answer is, I will take the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. So the way to give thanks for the atonement of Jesus is to kneel before him like the Samaritan and partake, to take the cup, to, to partake of the Eucharist. To take the cup of salvation, to take more from Jesus. He's already forgiven you your sins. Come receive more. And taking more, that, that's not being greedy. It's exactly what Jesus wants. You know, it's kind of like if your grandma, if your grandma gives you a gift, maybe a maybe $1,000 for college, you could write a thank you note to her. But the thing that will make your grandma the most pleased is if you actually use the $1,000 for what she gave it to you. If you just write a thank you note and then and just shove off the money or waste it, it's not being thankful. In the same way, Jesus 
has given you his gifts of forgiveness, life, and salvation in the Lord's Supper. And he wants us to use them. He wants you to take his supper. And to say that you, you don't need it is to say you, you don't need Jesus. The nine lepers had it exactly wrong. Coming back to Jesus, that wasn't an obligation. It didn't mean an obligation. It meant more gifts. It meant freedom and life and salvation. After the Samaritan gives thanks, Jesus tells him, get up and go your way. Now, the Greek word there for go uh, actually means come. Uh, in, in Greek, the, it's the same word for coming and going. There's a joke that the Greeks don't know if they're coming or going. But Jesus is not telling the man to go away. He's inviting the man to come. To come to him, to enjoy his forgiveness, to enjoy his life free, not just from leprosy, but free now from sin, from the law, and to enjoy his salvation. It's a free gift apart from the law. You have been given all these same gifts. And so come, show yourself to the priest, to Jesus. You are cleansed. Come before Jesus. Kneel before him. Give thanksgiving. Take the Eucharist and enjoy your forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, never shall be, forevermore. Amen.